Good morning, everyone. You got a Bible with you today? Open up to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're marching on. That's right. Amen. God's word is good. It's good for us, isn't it? First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, we're going to be reading today. We're going to be focusing specifically on, though, verses 3 through 9. First Peter 1, verses 3 through 12. If you're able to, would you stand out of reverence for God's word this morning? For the reading of God's word? This is what God's Word says to us this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Not themselves, but you. And the things that you have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels longed to look. This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. Ever meet those people like, I was talking with Dan just uh, maybe maybe an hour ago. He went to a concert last night with with his bride. He went to see Kansas. I've heard of Kansas. They're all right. They're okay. With mouth agape, everyone stared at me. So the Kansas is all right. They're better than all right. You ever meet those people that just seem like they're born for the thing that they do, though? Kansas might be one of those groups. That's not part of my, like, I didn't grow up listening to them like I did, like Nirvana or Metallica. But there's a reason why people still listen to them today. And it's 
It's not just because older people have more disposable income, right? Some people in my generation still listen to them too. They've been attracted to them. Or when you think about Queen Amidala from the Star Wars series, no one else on planet Earth could play Queen Amidala other than Natalie Portman. No one else on planet Earth could be Jane Foster in Thor, Love and Thunder. They're just some people that are born for the roles that they play, aren't there? What would people say that you're born for? Maybe being a good mom. Maybe being a good friend. Maybe being a good computer programmer or an engineer. What would they say that you're good at? The passage that we're looking at today is largely about suffering. And specifically suffering's role in the life of the Christian. Remember how we said though that suffering while it's a massive theme throughout the book. It's not the biggest theme of 1 Peter. The thrust of 1 Peter we're going to get to next week. 1 Peter 1 verse 16. Be holy as I am holy God says. But we can be holy in the face of pain and suffering, hardship, and terrible circumstance because we're born for it. You and I are born for hardship and pain and being able to come through it on the other side with joy. Do you believe that? Maybe on the other side of it, we believe it. But certainly not when dark clouds start to surround us. I don't all the time. This is a message for people that go through it though. Or that are preparing to go through. Not great times. Peter's saying that you and I are born to resist. You and I are able to be holy. You and I are able to be close to Jesus in the worst kinds of situations. You and I can have joy when everything in your life seems like it's falling apart. Why? Look at verse 3. Blessed or happy, or should we speak well of, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Because He caused us to be what? born again. The great God of the universe, the great Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He's caused you and me to literally be born again, be born from above, be God-born. The elect exiles and the select sojourners and strangers of the dispersion, Peter is telling them that they have been made brand new, that they're God-born. Those people that have been sprinkled by Jesus' blood have been born again. Notice, though, he doesn't say that they've been renewed. This is a very important distinction for our own day. He doesn't say that they've been reborn either. There's no idea of reincarnation 
in the Bible. That's a monstrosity that's foreign to the scriptures. If we were to say that we were being reborn or reincarnated or renewed, it's still using the normal, natural, everyday stuff that you and I have in our own person, in our own heart. God is saying, nah, it doesn't work like that. Instead, I'm giving you something brand new. The old stony heart that we used to have, God replaces for a, God, a, a heart of flesh. It's like John 3. Do you remember John 3, one of the most famous passages in the Bible? John 3, 16, everyone knows it. God loved the world in this way, that he sent his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. What's the conversation leading all the way up before that? Right to that. You have one of the great teachers of Israel coming to Jesus in the secret of the night. Talking with him. Jesus, some of us believe what you say, kind of. And then Jesus engages in this. He doesn't really follow Nicodemus' logic. Instead, he says, you got to be born again. If you want to know God, if you want to please God, be in relationship with him, you have to be born again. And this teacher of Israel, the most spiritual amongst them, he's looking at Jesus awkwardly. I don't know what you mean by that guy. How am I supposed to like Go through this whole process again. How is my mom supposed to give birth to me again? The teacher of Israel was slow to pick up on what Jesus was saying. Jesus corrects him. He says, in order to be made new, someone outside of you has to transform you. Someone on the outside has to do the work. Isn't that what he says here? According to God's own mercy, he has caused or made you born again. We choose to follow Jesus as he gives us faith to do so. But God starts it off in me, in you, in people's, in Peter's friends. The cause to be born again to a living hope. So those now that have been born again, they're able to resist. You are able to resist because you're made of different stuff than what the world is made of. Why? First, he's, it's according to God's mercy. Peter's saying that God working on your behalf to make you brand new is an act of God's mercy. How is this a merciful act? Well, what is mercy? God being rich in mercy, lovingly chose for us not to receive that which we're owed. 
Do you know what you and I are owed in this life? You and I are owed tragedy in this life. You and I are owed heartache in this life. We're owed brokenness in this life. We're owed an eternity without him in this life and the next. We're owed this because we have sinned against him. We're owed to hear a gavel crash in God's courtroom as he pronounced a guilty verdict to us. We are owed that he drags us away from his courtroom and his presence forever. God's mercy changes the story. Do you know that? Based in our own strength and our own merit and our own goodness, we deserve the worst of the worst. We deserve everything that comes to us in this life. But God being rich in mercy says that that is not the end of the story for you and me. God makes something good and beautiful even out of the hardship and pain of our circumstance. God turns our coffins into gardens, our graves into gardens. And one day soon, even weapons of war and how we might use character assassination or whatever, like all of these things, like God will even bend swords into plowshares. All because of his great mercy. But that's not all. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. To what? To a living hope. It's not wishful thinking. And it's not just for Peter's friends who are about to experience hardship. It's not even saying, I wish this didn't happen to us anymore. He's saying that we're able to stand because of a living hope. Peter writing from Rome, he knows how bad it's about to get. He's telling his friends, though, that your hope isn't buried deep in a grave. It's not eating dust right now. It is as alive as Jesus is alive right now. This happens. Everything, everything hangs upon the resurrection of Jesus. And what else does he say? He says, it's to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's completely untouchable. Even for you, all the bad stuff that we do in this life doesn't even defile it, doesn't decay it. It's hidden away for you where moth and rust won't destroy. Your boss that hates your guts that might want to fire you and take away your 401k might be able to do that, but he can't do it with treasure that's hidden for you in heaven right now. Cancer diagnosis doesn't spoil it. 
Nothing will spoil it. Being born again nets us an inheritance that we didn't deserve and we didn't earn. It's all based upon what Jesus has done and given to you and me. And so if salvation is based upon God's power, how can I be sure of my inheritance and my rescue? How sure can I be that God will keep his promise? How sure can I be in this life that's fraught with dangers that he'll be able to do what he says? Friends, you and I can be all the way sure. 100% always and forever. This is why we can resist today. Look at the last bit of the passage, verses six through nine. Let me read it again. In this, you rejoice, not in suffering that we rejoice, but rather in the fact, according to God's great mercy, you have been born again to a living hope. It's in this that you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you don't now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining obtaining the outcome of your faith salvation of your souls. He says that you rejoice. This isn't some like positive, like let's put a, like a cat poster on the wall in church or at your place of business with like motivational statements. This isn't just pop psychology. This isn't an attaboy to tell you to turn your frown upside down. He's saying in light of this, rejoice. Can I be honest for a moment? Christians should be some of the most joyful people on the planet. The most joyful people on the planet. Are you? Drew, just a moment ago, in in moving into a time of confession and, and, and forgiveness, when he read from from Isaiah 3, there are some of us that have like a countenance of sin, right? When people are going through really bad stuff, like you see them wince. Surely this isn't talking about or celebrating bad stuff that comes our way. He's saying that there is a truer reality though. That the pain that we go through pushes us not away 
from our Savior and Master. This isn't God signaling his hatred or frustration at you for not getting your act together. Instead, God lovingly shapes us and molds us through the stuff that happens in this life. And so in this you rejoice. If your countenance is constantly and always dour or sour, friend, I want to I show you what the scriptures teach. He hasn't forgotten you. He's working on you. This is for you. Instead of looking at suffering as cinder blocks that drag us to the bottom, we look at them as springboards that push us to know and receive God's power and presence. This life, it doesn't come together the way that I want to, inertia or Murphy's Law or our own foolishness and weakness wear away at how we want to make our life comfortable and at ease. But my hope isn't here and comfortability here. My hope is with Christ, hidden in Christ, knowing and receiving him. And one day I'll see him face to face. There was a Bosnian Christian leader, Fritzov Gamalik, who said persecution or pain or loss or sitting alone in the dark when you're just defeated by life. It comes to us as an ultimate manifestation of God's good providence because it provokes us to a newfound dependence upon his grace. It's in that sense that a paradoxical blessing perhaps is present even more profound than prosperity. When I have nothing left, in other words, I still have him. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But what also gives comfort like him? Nothing else does. What else gives power to be faithful today? It's certainly not job security and strength in relationships. It's him who does it. And so joy in this life is directly tied to what you put your hope in. In your power to stand, it doesn't come from present ease, but it comes from an ever-present hope. Your laughter doesn't come from the little things in this life. It comes by the light of the world, and your resiliency comes not from reaching out to what helps us cope, but it comes from a resurrected Savior. Suffering does not keep us from him. Suffering in the economy of God, it pushes us to him. When trials come, do you feel compelled to run to him? That's what they're designed to do, to reinforce your joy, to bring joy. 
here and now and not steal it. Even the enemy wants to be able to do that, but God is saying he uses these things for our good and our joy. Do you believe him? There might be someone in here, though, that says, Tim, like, that's all well and good. I don't follow Jesus, though, and I've done pretty well all right for my whole life. Friend, you might be doing all right right now. The point of the passage isn't just for us to have a feel-good message. This is to help people try to live. If all you walk out here with today is the tinglies because you feel great, Jesus loves me, and it doesn't change or impact your life or your outlook on life, then I've failed. It's meant to inform you and me of something that's more real than even the stuff that we experience here and now. The stuff matters, it's true, but it's not, it doesn't matter as much as what I am going to be doing in the future and where I'm going to be in the future. And friends that do not follow Jesus today, you might feel like you've mastered everything that there is to master in this life. And you're able to deal with stuff as it comes your own way. The greatest enemy that you and I have here, though, is death itself. And only one person has conquered it. I don't want for you to be coaxed into a daze or deceived with a false sense of security. I want you to win and find ultimate joy and ultimate security in a living hope that's resting securely in the person and work of Christ. Suffering in this life, it's inescapable. And you and I, we can't downplay it. And we shouldn't laugh at it. And we don't scorn it though either. We receive both the good and the bad like Job did. How can I receive good and not evil from the Lord, he said. The way we can do that is because we've been born again to a living hope. As you march out of here today, be enlivened and encouraged and joyful because Jesus Though your treasure is in heaven with him, he's working for you and on you right now. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise for the word. We give you praise for working on us in the midst of all sorts of stuff. There are people here today who need to hear from you. They don't know where you're at. They don't see you. They might be in the deepest black and I pray for them now that you would give them eyes to see your handiwork and your hand on them and about their life. 
all else is deficient, all else fails, but you never have, nor will you ever. Help us rest in you today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.